The following is paid commercial programming. Third-party rankings are no guarantee of future investment success. Working with a highly rated advisor does not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a high level of performance. Investment performance is not an explicit criterion because clients' investment goals differ. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client. Generally, rankings are based on information prepared and submitted by the advisor. Statements saying that we told our clients to be out of the market in 2008 refer to recommendations made by MMWKM's principals while employed at Eagle Strategies LLC. The team that manages accounts at MMWKM are the same individuals with that responsibility at Eagle Strategies and at Cambridge Research from 2009 to 2011. MMWKM was created in 2011 and uses the same exit strategy. A more thorough disclosure of the criteria used in making these rankings is available by contacting MMWKM Advisors LLC. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Money Matters. And here's your host, Ken Moray. We're in the money. We're in the money. We've got a lot of what it takes to get along. We're in the money. We are in the, the money. The skies are sunny. An old man recession. You are through. You have done us wrong. Well, hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to Money Matters with Ken Morafe. And of course, I am your host, Ken Morafe. And this is the show where we talk about everything and anything in the world of retirement planning. We talk about Social Security. We talk about the stock market inflation. This week, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling. I mean, we have so much fun talking about all this boring financial stuff. In fact, you are going to have more fun than a human being should be allowed to have when listening to all this boring financial stuff. Uh, but before we go one step further... Let me introduce myself. I am Ken Morayf, the founder and senior partner at uh, Retirement Planners of America. And uh, we are a firm that specializes in retirement planning. So it means we work primarily with people who are over 50, who are retired, who are retiring soon. And uh, so if that's you, then this show is designed for you. Our website is rpoa.com, and it is also designed for you. And uh, we have we want to help you to either uh, achieve the retirement that you want or to stay retired once you are there. And uh, one of the things that we are uh, now doing is we are podcasting this show. We're kind of late to the game, I have to say, but we are podcasting it, and it's amazing. We've only been promoting it since June, and we're already up to about 20,000 uh, subscribers. So if you are if you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. Uh, you can, again, our website, rpoa.com, or any of your major streaming services, you can find us, and then you can listen to the show at your leisure. And uh, in case you didn't know it, and I'm one that never says anything about myself because I'm so self-effacing and shy. But in case you didn't know it, Barron's named moi, your faithful host, one of the top 100 financial advisors, and they actually did that eight years in a row. <laughs> yeah, and I do. And you know what? They are incredibly smart people, I have to say. In fact, when I think about them, I think, uh, as Fernando Lamas used to say, you look marvelous. Or maybe it was Billy Crystal. So anyway, um, so one of the things that uh, I want to I kind of give you an update here, because uh, as, as you guys may know, my birthday is coming up next week. And I, last week, I gave you an advance notice. I told you that you needed to get your shopping done, because if you're starting now, 
you're you're late. You're not going to find what you want. The malls are going to be crowded. It's going to be a mess, and, and it's it's on you. Okay, I tried to warn you, but okay. Anyway, uh, but if you're still wondering what to get me for my birthday, something little and red would be perfect. Okay, a little Ferrari that would be great. Fits in my garage. I could drive it around. That would be nice. So if you're wondering what to get me, get me a Ferrari. Now you know, uh, Jack. It's funny because uh, a few years ago, I, I've 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 said that joke every year for the 20 some years I've been doing this show and uh, finally somebody said okay I'm gonna get you the Ferrari and so he got me one of the little toy ones you know the little red Ferraris and then I did a Ben Stiller on him I'm like hey how am I supposed to fit inside that it's too little (laughs) sorry about this I know it's a bit silly it is very silly. So you know what? In this segment, I want to talk with you about the debt ceiling. And uh, you know that's kind of been getting the attention of the markets and the investors and causing volatility and all the posturing and all the stuff that's going on with the politicians. And I mean, uh, this thing recurs itself. It's like Groundhog Day. In fact, we've all seen this. If you've been around for a while, as I have, you've seen this movie before. I've seen it three times before. And it's the exact same plot. We have different actors. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a it's like a you know a remake of a of a movie I've already seen. It's different actors, but it's the same it's the same plot. It's the posturing. It's what's it, what they do, and then they shut down the government, and then they don't, and then they extend it, and then they don't, and then they're like, oh, you gave up? No, you didn't. Yes, I did. And they go through all of that, and eventually they they come to a deal, and we move on. And uh, I think uh, this is going to be the same thing. Now, they've extended it out to December 3rd. And so, you know, I guess we got a little truce right now, or or, or I don't know if you'd call it a truce, but some time to figure things out before they go back to uh, fighting amongst themselves. But, you know, the thing about the debt ceiling, and there's been some talk about uh, getting rid of it. Let's get rid of the debt ceiling. Jamie Dimon, who is the uh, uh, CEO of of, uh, uh, Citigroup, said, uh, that he uh, or J.P. Morgan, I'm sorry. He said that uh, you know we should just get rid of it. It's it's uh, it creates all kinds of havoc. It's a mess, and they have to prepare. He said they spent a hundred million dollars the last time they had this debt ceilings thing because they had to prepare for the potential that they don't come to an agreement, and then all chaos breaks loose, and they spent a hundred million dollars preparing for something that didn't happen, but they're going to have to do it again. He said so they need to get rid of it. Well, that's fine for you. That's fine for you to say, Jamie. You want to save the hundred million, but I'm actually glad that it happens. And the reason why is because I think what it does is it forces them to tap on the brakes for a moment and kind of think about what they're spending. Because you know, I just don't know how we can continue to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and not expect it to come home to roost. Now, you may be wondering, what is this debt ceiling, and 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 you know, why should you care, and, and what's that all about? Well, basically what happens is that our government does not have enough money to run itself. It's not cash flow positive, all right? It doesn't have enough. So what they do is they issue bonds. Now, bonds are a nice way of saying borrowing money. But nobody likes to say, well, we're going to go borrow money. It just sounds kind of crass. It's a little, you know, it's like beneath me. I don't borrow money. I issue a bond because I'm a sophisticated person. So the government issues bonds which basically means they're going to go borrow money. And that's how they make up the difference because we, are, we have deficits. We're, we're spending more than we make, and that's not, that's not a good recipe, folks. You and I know it, right? We know that if we spend more than we make, we're going to get in trouble at some point, but uh, our government seems to not care about that. But be that as it may, 
the debt ceiling it has to be raised because the amount that we borrowed last time we raised the debt ceiling uh, was not enough to cover where we are today, meaning that our costs have gone up as a government, I say we, um, and now we need to borrow more than what we borrowed last time to, to, to increase the amount of money available to keep the government going. And so that's where the rub comes, because if you, if you increase the ceiling, then it means that you've increased the amount that the government's going to borrow, and therefore you've created a situation where potentially we're going to have to have higher taxes, or we're going to have inflation. And, you know, countries that have gone unfettered, that have borrowed immense amounts of money, they have experienced incredible uh, inflation. You know, I was just reading a book about uh, uh, King Louis of France back in, you know, way before the French Revolution. And he figured out, he was the first guy to come up with the idea of government bonds. He was the first guy to come up with the idea that I'm going to borrow money from my citizens. And the reason why I can do that is because he thought he was appointed by God. And because I'm appointed by God, I'm going to be able to repay as much as I borrow, no problem, because I'm appointed by God. And the citizens felt the same way. He's appointed by God, so therefore, if we lend him money, we're going to get paid back. And so guess what Louis did with all that money? He built all those castles everywhere, and uh, you know he built all those palaces. He went to war with everybody. He, he borrowed tons of money. And then what happened is they had massive inflation. They had the inability, he had the inability to pay back the debt that he had made. And next thing you know, they chopped his head off. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting we do that with our politicians. <laughs> that would be a little extreme, but... Uh, one of the things that can come of us borrowing as much as we are is that we could end up creating huge inflationary pressures. And so I like the fact that there is a debt ceiling which forces us to reassess whether or not we want to increase our debt and where and how it's going to, the money's going to be spent and where we're going to, and, and, and also how it's going to be, how we're going to pay it back. Now, the thing about our debt that is uh, an interesting thing to think about is that when you look at countries that have uh, gone under because they've borrowed too much money, it's not the amount that they have borrowed that is the concern. It's the repayment of it that is the concern. And right now, interest rates are so low that in a way, we're getting a pass. You know, President Obama, when they did the $700 billion uh, TARP thing that, 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 that they did back then, that was at when interest rates were around 4 or 5%. Today, interest rates are around 1%, 1.5%. So that same $700 billion, if we were to borrow it today, would not be as expensive because interest rates are lower. So in a, in a very interesting. Yeah, so, so if you want to know, I get asked a lot, you know, so when are we going to like tip, you know, tip over and go bankrupt and cause you know, the economy and everything to crash and become a third world country? Keep your eye on the debt service. When, when, when what happened with King Louis was that he reached a point where he could not tax his citizens high enough to pay the debt that he had incurred. And so what happened was the citizens turned on him and said, we can't take it anymore, and they had the revolution. So in our country right now, interest rates are so low, we're able to make our debt service. We're able to pay that out of taxes and all the rest. But if it ever gets to where we can't pay it back because we can't afford it anymore, that's when we'll be in trouble. And we're not there yet, so I'm not calling for alarms yet, but uh, it is worrisome that we are so free to, to borrow and print money without seemingly any fear of the consequences. So what do you do about it? 
Well, one of the things that could happen is that they don't come to a deal and that we do have a massive economic crisis and we could see the stock markets go down significantly. And so what you should do about it is what we do. We have a strategy we call invest and protect. And our strategy is designed to give us an unlimited upside, which means that we're going to stay in for as long as the market wants to go up and we, our investments are rising. We want to go ride it right along with it. But when it turns and goes south and it gets bad, we want to have a place where we say, you know what, we're not playing anymore. We're going to take our marbles and we're going to go home and we're going to protect ourselves. And this strategy actually told us to sell in November of 2007, uh, or, uh, just before the great market crash of 2008. It told us to sell the, in early March of last year, which was just before the pandemic was announced, and we saw the big drop in the market after that. So we want to help protect our clients from that. So if you go to our website, rpoa.com, you can attend seminars, you can watch videos, uh, read articles about our strategies to help you to have a successful retirement and to protect your retirement from the next market crash. So go there. It's rpoa.com. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have tons more retirement planning ideas for you. So stay tuned. This is Money Matters, and I am Ken Morafe. Our firm is designed to facilitate your retirement. We call it your second childhood without parental supervision. I love it. Yes, we do. And we want you to go play, have fun, enjoy, and not worry about all this boring financial stuff. And if we can do that for you, we've done something good, we believe. And, you know, Financial Times uh, recently named our financial our firm one of the top 300 uh, financial advisory firms. And actually, they did that three times. And so we're very flattered by that, of course, but without our beloved and most valued clients, we'd be nowhere. And if you're not a client, I encourage you to go to our website, rpoa.com. Check us out. See if there might be something there that you'd be interested in pursuing. All right. We're going to talk now about uh, the difference between stock value and stock price. And, you know, Warren Buffett said, price is what you pay Value is what you get. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> okay. So value is it's separate from the price. It considers financial statements, market analysis, fundamental factors. There's all this stuff that goes into what creates value. A stock price basically is how much the stock trades at. Okay, and it's impacted by short-term market fluctuations. Um, it, it's it's if, by things that are really out of out of the control of the stock itself. So let me go through with you what are the four things that determine value, and what are the five things that determine price, and help you to see the difference. Okay, so let's start with value. So the first thing that happens with value is earnings. Okay, so people are always interested to know is this company. Pardon me. Is this company profitable? Okay. Is, does it have earnings? And this is often an indicator of the company's performance. You look at past and present numbers, and, you, and it looks at trends, and you see if future earning projections are going to increase or decrease. And so that's what a lot of people look at is earnings. The other thing that is uh, a common metric for value is market share. So what percentage of their market do they own? You know, so you look at Amazon, I think they own 100% of the, of the online <laughs> or close to it any, uh, anyway retail market. So you look at how strong are they in their, in their area. But not only that, do they have barriers to entry? In other words, are they susceptible to competition coming in and taking away their market share? So again, I'm using Amazon. It is very difficult if you and I decided we wanted to compete with Amazon, it would be very difficult for us to do that. 
okay, because we'd have to create all that stuff that they've created. Not easy. And then the other thing that people look at are uh, ratios, okay? So there's one ratio called price-to-earnings ratio, which basically is the price of the stock currently divided by the future earnings of this stock, and that gives you a, what's called the P-E ratio. And people look at that. I don't like that one because it's forecasting, and we humans are really not that good at forecasting, but uh, that's one area that you can look at. So you combine all those. You look at competitors, uh, current and, pre uh, and potential, all that kind of thing, and that helps you to determine the value of the stock. Now, what determines price? Well, as in most cases, what determines price is demand versus supply, right? So if people are in, if, if something is in high demand, then its price tends to go up, all right? So that's a pretty straightforward thing. Um, what, Tesla, is that what you're saying? Because it's in demand right now? Yeah. Uh, also, broad market trends can cause prices to go up. In other words, a rising tide can raise all ships. You know, if the entire stock market is rising because everybody's excited and buying everything in sight, then companies that potentially have no value see their stock go up. Look at Hertz, for example, and GameStop. All of a sudden, you know, you have all these people buying it, even though, you know, maybe the companies were worthless. Um, also, and this one is another one that I, uh, I, I don't like because – you know, it, it tends to be, uh, gosh, how do I say this politically properly, uh, influenced by uh, people. Uh, and that is media and analyst reports. You know, analysts will come out and say that a certain company is going to do X, Y, and Z, and then people start getting excited and they buy it and that drives the price up. Um, a lot of times analysts have had an expensive lunch and uh, <laughs> that may bias their opinions in my opinion. But anyway, I'll leave that where it is. The other thing to look at is uh, economic factors. So, you know, there are, there are macroeconomic uh, factors that uh, have been shown to explain 90% of a stock's price. So, for example, uh, you know, just the economy, inflation, all that kind of stuff can actually impact the price just because it impacts the whole atmosphere. And then the last thing that impacts price is company news. You know, when the CEO or somebody in the company comes out and uh, makes an announcement that they're going to miss forecasts, make forecasts, or maybe there's some bad news that comes out. So there's some sort of, uh, you know, company news that impacts their price, which would be different for this particular company's stock than it would be for others in their same industry, etc. So those are the things. So now, when you're making your, your choices, if you're going to buy individual stocks, which I don't recommend, by the way, unless you, have, you make it your full-time job, okay? I, I really don't think it's a good idea for part-timers to do that. But if you were to do that, you know, those are the factors you want to take into account. What's the price versus what's the value? And uh, Warren Buffett is very, very famous and, and has made a lot of money finding companies whose value is lower, is more than the price that they currently have. And if you're good at that, then you can become one of the richest people in the world. It's just that easy. <laughs> so, um, having said all of that, yes, having said all of that, if we, since uh, very few of us are Warren Buffett, in fact, I don't think anybody is Warren Buffett except Warren Buffett, then I encourage you not to uh, do that kind of thing. I would say be diversified, have a broad diversification strategy, um, have an overlay to protect against big bad bears. And uh, if you want help with doing that, here's what I encourage you to do. Go to our website. It's rpoa.com. And uh, when you're there, you can actually subscribe to the show. I encourage you to do so. Uh, we podcast it. You can have it uh, downloaded to your device. You can either go to any of your streaming services or you can go on our website. Either way, subscribe to the show, get it podcasted to you. And uh, 
We also have uh, the ability for you to click on meet with an advisor. And if you do that, then we'll schedule a time to meet with you either in person or virtually, whichever you prefer. And uh, we'll go over with you. We'll help you build your entire retirement plan from soup to nuts. We'll look at cash flow. We'll look at income taxes, estate planning, uh, social security strategies, uh, pretty much the gamut of what it takes to build your retirement plan. We'll do it all at no charge or obligation. If we can help you, that is fantastic. We're so happy. And if we cannot, that's fine too. Either way, there is no charge, there's no obligation, and we will part friends. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And you know what? It actually is. And whether you decide to do business with us or not, we will be lifelong friends. I believe that if you... Uh, Always our friends with people. Eventually, they'll come around and they'll become a client. And if they don't, you did a good thing anyway. So rpoa.com is our website to take advantage of all of that. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about maximizing your Social Security benefits. So stay tuned. This is Money Matters, and I am Ken Morayf. Let's talk about... Um Social Security. This is one of the areas that, for most of our clients, it's the largest source of um, income during their retirement. And it is extremely complex. You know, I kind of say that if there was a gold medal for, for complexity, Social Security would win the gold medal every time, <laughs> hands down. There, there's not even a second, in my opinion. So, um, and in fact, even on the, the, IR, the uh, Social Security website, it says that there are 9,200 9, combinations of how you can take Social Security. So how is a lay person, you ladies and gentlemen listening to this show right now, how are you able in, to go and figure out which one of those combinations is right for you? You got to take into account your age. You got to take into account your income, the disparity in ages if you're married, your health. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into it, so many variables. And making the right decision is important in my view because if you make the wrong decision, you could leave tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table over the course of your lifetime. It's big. So anyway, what we endeavor to do on this part of the show is to take your questions and see if we can answer them, and then everybody can hopefully learn from that. So if you have questions that you'd like me to answer, send them to me. My email address is ken at rpoa.com, and uh, I'll see if I can answer those questions. So here's my first question for this week. I earn $110,000 a year. Nice. My wife earned $6,000 in a part-time job. Now, she turns 62 early next year. Will my earnings cause her Social Security benefits to be reduced? Or will she be all right because her earned income is below the earnings test threshold? Well, that's a great question. So, as long as she is receiving benefits on her own record, meaning she's not getting a spousal benefit based on yours, if she's getting her own, then your earnings will not cause her benefits to be withheld because the earnings test looks only at the earned income of the individual person. Okay? Now, there's two things here, though, that you got to be aware of. One is the earnings test. So as I said, if, if she's just doing it on hers, there will be no, your, your earnings will not affect it. But the taxation of your Social Security benefits is based on your joint income if you file a joint return, and therefore she could see 85% of her Social Security benefits get taxed even though they won't reduce it because of your earnings. So your earnings will not cause her benefits to be reduced, but your earnings could cause her benefits to be taxed. And if I was her, I'd slap you on the back of the head for that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, is it a reason for her not to take Social Security? No. 
I mean, if she takes it, she gets taxed on it, so be it. It's like getting a wage, all right? So not, not too bad. So anyway, uh, let's see. I got another one. Can I answer it quickly? I'm 64. I'm taking Social Security. I was notified that my Social Security is being withheld, so I suspended. Can I safely say that I can con- continue that suspension and build my Social Security until I'm 70, or, or will I not be able to build it any longer because I already started at age 62? Well, before your full retirement age, your benefits, your benefit is in suspension because it is being withheld for the earnings test that I just said, all right? But it's not truly a suspension because you have to be over 66 to actually suspend. But the effect is the same. So when you turn 66 and you're no longer subject to the earnings test, you can voluntarily sub, uh, suspend your benefit and then start building that 8% annual increase till you're age 70. So between working and suspending, you can mitigate most of the damage of your uh, filing early. Uh, talk to uh, somebody who's trained in that, and they'll, t- they'll show you how to do it. And if you'd like to talk to somebody that is trained in that, well, all of our retirement planners go through uh, Social Security training every year, and we certify them and all of that good stuff to make sure they can answer the questions as knowledgeably as possible. Wow! Yes, and so what I'd encourage you to do, if you have questions about uh, organizing your retirement planning and building in your Social Security planning, is go to our website. It's rpoa.com. Click on Meet with an Advisor. And when you do that, we'll build a retirement plan for you. We'll incorporate your Social Security when and how, and we'll go through all of that with you. We'll also talk about your 401k and diversification, your income taxes and cash flow planning and budgeting and all of that. We'll do it all with you at no charge or obligation. If we can help you, fantastic. And if not, that's fine too. Either way, we will part friends. So rpoa.com is the website to take full advantage of that. All right, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 10 things you should know about bear markets. Stay tuned. This is Money Matters, and I am Ken Morayf. One of the foundational philosophies that we have um, is that we believe that taking large losses in a bear market is a bad idea. You're a persistent cuss, pilgrim. I am, Duke. So call me crazy, but losing half my money in a bear market, you know, like 2008 or like Y2K or many of the others, I just think that's a bad idea. I know I'm crazy, and I know, I know I'm like a, a weird person for feeling that way, and, and I should want to lose half my money, and I should want to, like have, you know, to take 13 years to get back to even again, or maybe 25 years to get back to even like the Great Depression. Uh, I should want that, especially when I'm retired and I'm living on my money. I should want to suddenly see, as I'm watching my, my account value drop like a stone, I should want not to be able to sleep at night and have that feeling in my gut of that lead balloon that I'm, oh my gosh, am I going to lose all my money? Am I going to have to go back to work and I haven't been at work for five years. I want all that. I want the stress of that. I want the anxiety of all that. That's what I want. (laughs) Sorry about this. I know it's a bit silly. Now, maybe there's a chance that you don't want all that. And perhaps you want to have your second childhood where you're not worrying about all this boring financial stuff. And if you do, then you align with actually the way I really feel which is that I think in your investing, you should have a buy strategy for sure, because if you don't buy investments, they can't do anything for you. They can't generate income, et cetera. You should have a hold strategy, which means you know you, you hold your investments so they can produce what you're hoping for. But I believe there's a third step that is extremely important, and that is you should also have a sell strategy. And at our firm, we have a strategy. We call it the invest and protect strategy. And this strategy is what enabled us to tell our clients to sell in November of 2007 
2007, before the big credit crisis crash. And actually last year, just before, uh, on March 10th, our strategy said to sell. And guess what happened after that? The market took a big, big bad drop with the pandemic. So we want to help protect against that as much as we can. Now, I want to go over with you what, what bear markets are and things that you should know about them. And it falls under the category or the heading, should I say, of know thine enemy. Okay, the better you know your opponent, the better you can prepare and the better you can hopefully beat them. So number one is what is a bear market? Well, basically a bear market is a drop in whatever you're looking at. It could be the Dow, the S&P, a particular stock, whatever it is, of, of 20% or more. Okay, so that's a bear market in that. Now, the average bear market, and all of these things I'm going to quote to you are according to Ned Davis Research, uh, stocks lose an average of 36% in a bear market. Okay, so they, that's the average. Now, of course, Y2K in 2008 were more than that. Uh, they were around 50%, so bigger than that. Now, bear markets are normal. Um, we've had 25 bear markets since 1928, um, and uh, they, are, they last, let's see here, they last 299 days, so they last about 10 months. And some of them can be really bad. And, and when they say, when you say they last, what that means is from the previous peak to the bottom of the market is 10 months on average. But that doesn't mean getting back to even is 10 months. Okay, so 2008, uh, the market went down in about 10 months, that 57%. But it didn't take it wasn't over to get back to even. It wasn't until 2013. So it took five years to get back to even. All right. So, um, and they average every 3.6 years. So, you know, as I said, we have a bear market about every three to four years. So you should expect them. And here's the question. If, if, if this is something that you know is going to happen, okay, I think it's pretty much a guarantee we're going to have bear markets. Doesn't it make sense to have a strategy to address that? And if you don't have that, does it not seem like you're, you're just, you know, putting your head in the sand and you're ignoring something that is like very likely to happen? In fact, I would give it a hundred percent chance. Uh, bear markets. Uh, let's see here. Uh, whew, these are a kind. Of, I'm getting this from the Hartford Funds a study they did. Some of these are kind of boring. Half of the S and P's strongest days in the last twenty years occurred during a bear market. Yep, that happens a lot. You see these huge up days where the market goes up tremendously. 10% in a day. Almost all of those big up days happen during bear markets. Uh, the bear market doesn't necessarily indicate a recession. Yeah, uh, Y2K, for example, was a profit recession. It wasn't an economic recession. Okay, it was just companies that were suffering, technology to be specific. Uh, number nine, um, you can expect to live, if you live 50 years uh, in your retirement, which would be nice, right? Live to be 100. Uh, you could expect to have 14 bear markets during that time. And uh, number 10, Bear markets can be painful. <laughs> okay, tell me something obvious. <laughs> anyway, you know, sometimes researchers come up with something that's pretty obvious and you don't even you ask yourself, why did I pay that person to find that out for me? I already knew that. But anyway, um, in our firm, we believe that you should have a strategy to invest for sure, but also to protect. Because as somebody once said, it's not how much you make that matters, it's how much you keep that matters. To hear you say that makes me love you, baby. Hey, and I love you back. So um, if you believe as we do, and if you are over 50, the five years before you retire and the five years after you retire, that decade, 
many studies have shown is the single most important decade of your entire financial life. If you don't manage that properly, if you take big losses, then the likelihood that your money will run out before you run out will is very high. And we don't want that because our goal, of course, is for your money to last as long as you do. So if you go to our website, it's rpoa.com. We have some seminars coming up on retirement planning now that we're coming out of the pandemic, it appears. And we want to help you to strategize and get to retirement or to uh, prosper during your retirement. Okay, so it's all there for you at no charge or obligation at rpoa.com. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have our estate tip of the week, which is on why you should not co-sign grandchildren's loans. Don't do it, even for their education. Stay tuned. This is Money Matters, and I am Ken Morafe. And uh, this is the part of the show where we talk about estate planning. This is where you uh, do the work to pass on to your greedy, unwashed, undeserving heirs the fruits of your labor. And this week, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, you want to help your grandchildren with their student loans and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, there are some pitfalls to that. So we'll go into that in just a sec. But Jack, can you play it? I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire and of course that is Tony Bennett with rags to riches and we use that because the estate taxes and probate and all that kind of stuff is designed to do the exact opposite it's designed to take you from riches to rags and we do not want that to happen to you so every week at this time we have our estate tip of the week so this week you know and this is prompted I was visiting uh, with a client the other day and they they were talking about you know they wanted to help their grandchildren uh, pay for college and student you know have a, they had their student loans and this and that and uh, you know so let me give you some reasons why you do not want to co-sign with actually anybody <laughs> but since we're talking about grandchildren let's do that so first of all, that loan that you've co-signed is going to show up on your credit report, okay? So it's as much yours as it is your grandchild because you co-signed it. Number two, late payments. You're relying on your grandchild to pay for these things, right? Late payments will show up on your credit score, and they will subject you, you to collections, lawsuits, potential wage garnishments, liens on your bank accounts. And this is all for this beloved grandchild of yours, right? Uh, the third reason why you may not want to do this is that if you, if, if you, as a grandparent, if you take overpayments to preserve your good credit, then that means, guess what? You're on the hook for the stupid thing, right? You're, you're trying to protect your credit. So you start paying it for them, and they know that you're worried about it, so they might leverage that into like, oh, I can't pay it, Grandpa or Grandma. Uh, and the fourth reason why you would not want to do it is that uh, older people with student loans are more likely than those without such debt to say that they have skipped prescription medicines, doctor visits, dental care, because they couldn't afford them, okay? And I know you love your grandchildren. In fact, I had a, my, my, uh, my executive assistant years ago. She did that, I found out. You know, she was spending all her money on her grandson, and uh, I said, Gail, you can't be doing that. You got to take care of yourself first. And, you know, but she wouldn't. She wanted to take care of her grandchild. So anyway, so uh, be careful about that. Now, if you've already done it, <laughs> how do you get out of it? Well, first of all, 
you can't, right? So we're going to talk about what you can do to mitigate the thing. So the first thing you want to do is monitor your credit. Cosigners not, are not always notified when a payment is late. In fact, you may not be notified until the loan is in default and they're coming to collect or put a lien on you, okay? So make sure that you monitor your credit very carefully. And then if you cannot afford to do so, then it, I'm sorry, if you can afford to do so, make the payments, then ask the student to reimburse you. That way you can be sure that, you, that it's being paid on time and that you don't have late penalties and all the rest. Also, ask to be released. Just tell your grandchild, I want you to let me out of this. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. <laughs> and then explore a settlement. It may be, you may be able to settle private student loan debt by paying for less or whatever. You can go and throw yourself at the mercy. And then as a last resort, which I hope it'll never happen to you, you could declare bankruptcy, and then your grandchild is out on the cold. <laughs> so, so declare bankruptcy. Don't make a, a loan to a family member. Hmm, which one should I do? Anyway, I think that uh, you know, you, mixing family and business is, uh, is, is a touchy situation that can lead to all kinds of issues that maybe you don't want. Anyway, that's our estate tip of the week for this week. Now, if you are over 50, if you are retired or retiring soon, then what I would encourage you to do is go to our website. It is rpoa.com, retirementplannersofamerica.com. And uh, when you're there, you can sign up to uh, attend. We have some seminars coming up that uh, I think would be a benefit to you. We have our uh, retirement seminar where we talk about fighting the three worst enemies to your financial well-being, three of the worst enemies. One is inflation. We talk about what's the best investments to use to fight inflation with, which I think is coming. We also are going to talk about how to reduce your income taxes, how to fight bear markets. We talk about diversification, cash flow planning during your retirement. Where do you get your income from? How do you maximize your Social Security benefits? We talk about all of that in our seminar, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. That's too wonderful to be true. Well, Dorothy, it's not too wonderful to be true. You know why? Because it is true. And uh, we think that you'll get tons of great information out of it, and if uh, and I encourage you to attend. So it's uh, rpoa.com for that. Well, you know what? This show's over already. I cannot believe how fast it's gone. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed doing it for you. We'll see you next week, same time, same channel. Bye-bye, everybody. Of course not. It's only the beginning. Information presented should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned. None of this show's content should be viewed as personalized investment advice. A professional advisor should be consulted before implementing any of the strategies presented. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and therefore can be no assurance that any specific investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. The tax and estate planning information offered on this program is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Sound effects or anecdotes should not be construed as an endorsement of Ken Moray or MMWKM Advisors LLC. The firm only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability.